Off the ball. Somebody says this is bizarre radio. Ice cream on a pancake. Tuna. <laughs> He's brought shame to the whole town, village where he lives. Subscribe now to the OTB Football Podcast stream wherever you get your podcasts and download the OTB Sports app. OTB AM with Gillette. Get into your flow with the new Gillette Labs Razor with exfoliating bar. Daniel Harris is on the line. Good morning, Daniel. Hello. Lots to get to from last night, needless to say. Um, but before all of that, you've um, been reminiscing, as we all have here uh, last night and again this morning, about the late, uh, great John Matson who passed away yesterday. Yeah, I mean, Motti was, I mean, he's, for people of my age, I'm 43, he was the voice of our childhood, where we kind of, we caught the end of David Coleman, and then there was a bit of Tony Gubber, a bit of, um, bit of Alan Parry, and obviously Barry Davis. But John Watson was the BBC's lead commentator for so many years that he was just the voice of football. And the thing about it that was different, I guess, to now is that you didn't get much football on. But most of the football that you did get was on the BBC. So it was Motson. So him and Brian Moore were the, the, the two voices that you heard all the time. So just, just hearing those voices kind of gets introduces frisson to strides because football was on television was a relative rarity in those days. So it was always a kind of celebration when it was on. And Motti was the voice of that and the voice of so many massive moments, whether things that I experienced at the time or things that I experienced by learning the history of football, which I think I was talking to a friend actually yesterday who was saying, because there's so much football on now, like he was saying his son doesn't really need to bother with that, with watching old match of the day videos in the way that, the way that I did when I was growing up because there's so much that he can consume right now. But when that wasn't the case, I kind of, I was devouring, Motti did these BBC videos. They, they were the, the best of match of the day, the 60s, 70s and 80s. And I just absolutely rinsed those because there wasn't enough football on normal television to satisfy my voracious appetite for it. He was like, obviously, as with any commentator, it's such a subjective thing. And they, you know, particularly at the profile, like we were talking about, there was, there was no other option. So everybody had an opinion on him. And some, you know, there were detractors. Some people would have said he, he lent a little bit too heavy on the stats. But to have been a commentator at the BBC for 50 years and like an ability, I heard Mark Lawrenson talking about it, um, this morning, an ability to capture the moment. I think, yeah, it's not even just about capturing the moment, although that's obviously part of it. It's the commentary is also, it's company. If you're watching a game on your own, or even if you're watching a game with other people, and what, what all the commentators of my childhood have that I don't think we have now, and it sounds, you don't want to be like the middle-aged man you're saying, well, when I was a lad and everything now is really crap. But if I think about the commentators who I grew up with, so that was mainly um, John Watson, Brian Moore, and uh, Barry Davis, and also a bit of Peter Brackley, those guys, they had character, they had personality. So you talk about Motson and the stats. I preferred Barry Davis. I thought Barry Davis was a cleverer commentator, more interesting to listen to. But Motson had personality. And so you felt like watching a game being done by Motson, you knew what you were going to get, and it felt good company. It was warming, it was comforting, it was exciting. And that, I think, is the major difference between those commentators and the commentators that we have now where it all feels like it's quite find it much harder to differentiate between them, although I know what the voices are, and there aren't very many of them that I look forward to listening to. We've still got Clive Tilsley who, and Peter Drury, who, again, you may or may not like the way that they do it and their particular spin on what commentary is, but it feels like what you, you know what you're going to get from them because it's going to be distinct from what you get from the other guys, and that level of personality gives you that level of that gives you that ability to build a, a personal relationship with them and as though you kind of know them as though they're company their friends whatever you want to have, whichever you want to look at it 
And Motson absolutely had that. And it wasn't just because he was on all the time. He was on all the time because he had that. Where does Motson sit in your all-time uh, commentators for you? Um, third or fourth, I would say, behind Barry Davis, Clive Tildesley and um, Brian Moore. Hmm. But that, the, the, the standard was the standard was high. So saying he was fourth isn't like saying he wasn't good because just those those other guys were also brilliant. So the standard, the standard, the same on the radio. I mean, I grew up listening to loads of radio and still do, and loved the radio commentaries. And the standard of the radio commentaries was also brilliant. You had Ron Jones, Peter Jones, Mike Ingham, Peter Slater, and that's just doing the football. You had loads of people that were excellent. So giving it a one, two, three, four, you could do it. But number four would still be really excellent. We've been getting a bit of criticism in the comments this morning, Daniel, for our criticism of Jaden Sancho's performance last night. We weren't too impressed with his uh, possession retention. Were we right? Uh, no, it wasn't a good night for him, but he still contributed to the first goal significantly with the kind of pass that you want to see him play, a fast attacking pass. Um, he he didn't he didn't play well, but I also felt like he, he didn't play well in the first half when United didn't have that much of the ball. So he's not someone you would expect to go and get the ball. He's someone who is should have the ball given to him, and that didn't particularly happen. But ultimately, it's team game, and Fergie always used to say that you get a kind of performance where everyone plays well, hardly ever almost in your career. And so it wasn't for him, it wasn't his day to play well yesterday, but most of his mates did, so they got him out of it. And that's how teams work. And he still contributed. He still made one very significant contribution. Anthony coming on for Vegas at half time. An obvious change and totally different style of players. But what for you did Ten Hag actually tactically change to improve the performance so quickly in the second half? I think it's two things. You've got tactical changes and then you've also got mental changes. You've got the change that he made where he swapped the front three around, where Rashford went up front and as you say, Vegas came off. And then you had Sancho to the right, sorry, Sancho to the left. Um, and Bruno in the middle and Anthony to the right. So you're just changing the questions that you're asking defenders and you're changing the kind of combinations that the defenders are going to see. But I'm sure he's also telling them to play with greater intensity, to run faster, to run harder, because that's one of the things you know about United, that it's going to be physical. If you play this team, then they're going to ask you some physical questions. You're going to get tackled and you're going to have to run. You're going to have to run fast and hard a lot. And they didn't do that enough in the first half. So there's that person, there's the changes of personnel and there's a change of tactics. And I think one of the things that United now have is when you have a lot of flexible attackers, you can just swap stuff around and see what works. And part of me is saying these are brilliant changes by 10 half. The way he reads the game is sensational. And it is. And there's like a voice in my head saying, well, why don't you get it right at the beginning then? So there is also a little yeah, bit of yeah. that. But when you, when you just, when you have loads of flexible players, you have the options of, swapping players on and off because you've got depth and you've got options in terms of personnel, but you've also got options in terms of players who can play in three or four positions across the front. So if the first question, you get an answer to it, ask a different one. And Ten Hag isn't shy about changing the conversation in terms of the, in terms of the questions that he's asking to torture the metaphor even further. And you're seeing differences when he does that because you've got all these different players who have got really different and varied abilities. And so, okay, if you're... Marcus Rashford's not working for him out on the left, well then he can go up front. And then you can you can the combination play will change at that point as well. And I think that you have particularly Bruno and Rashford have a really good relationship on the pitch. So when they're near to each other, I think United are likely to be more dangerous. He's also said the standard out now is being absolutely cutthroat. Like he makes that substitution at halftime. I know you say, and John Giles would often say it on this uh, on the show. You know, if you're making that substitute early, that's more on you than it is on them. But equally, I mean, at that level, particularly that game last night, he's setting out a stall consistently now. 
that he'll be cutthroat. And that's a, you can even listen to some of the players after the game last night. Like that is a serious mindset shift for that group to be in now. Well, I think the difference here I mean, the, relative to all the other managers before is that Ten Hag has options. So Ole used to cycle through the same players. He'd, get, he'd f- focus on the team, then he'd try, and it would usually have McFred in it because that was the only thing he could find that worked. He then It then wouldn't work, and then he'd cycle through some more options. Same with Mourinho, same with Van Gaal. Whereas the difference between them and Ten Hag is that there are tactical differences, I'm sure, and differences of coaching, but the real difference, the biggest single difference is that Ten Hag signings have worked, all of them. And so because of that, it means that he's got more players. So he's got players that are able to cover up the errors that he might make, or just if the opposition are just defending well, then he's got options to change things. He's even he's got options in defence as well. So the thing that he has that the other players don't have is proper competition for places where if you don't play well, you're out. And if you get out, then the person that comes in, there's a good chance they're going to play well. And none of the other managers have had that because more or less they all made a mess of their, they all made a mess of their signings. Hasn't he shown more balls than all the other managers that were there before him as well? Like, I mean, the Ronaldo stuff is a really obvious one, but the easy thing to do last night was to not make that substitute at half time because it, it encourages conversations like this where people go, well, maybe he got that wrong. But right, actually, but imagine, we, imagine you're not going to get beat. If you're not going to yeah. get beat, then we're having a different conversation. But, but the confidence and, and, and comfort to know that, you know, it feels like he's he's running the clock. I mean, he's not, nobody's ever going to be Fergie again, but it feels like he's not worried. He's not looking over his shoulder in a way that a lot of the previous uh, people in his position were. A hundred percent. I said this to a friend last night. He is absolutely running thing. That he's just, he's in control of everything. And he's doing it in a different way to how Fergie did it and a different way to lots of managers do it. His method seems to be that the players know that he means what he says and that he's tough. But also, he's just, he just seems like a nice guy. The way that he interacts with the TV people, the media, the way that you just see him talking to people and about people is that he's always poking the players and challenging, to, challenging them to do a little bit more and that he's tough with them. But also, he's a nice guy and he's fair. And, and he, the things that he says happen. He's, he's right most of the time with what he tells them to do. And with players, as soon as they start seeing results, they'll start thinking, well, I need to respect this guy because... What he says is happening. He's making them better. And yeah, he's just in total control of the club. And he has been more or less since the time he arrived. He took those two games. And since then, United have been excellent. They've been playing the, the form is championship form. And they've been doing things they haven't done for years. I mean, they, they just take the tie against Barcelona. They should have won the first leg and from behind. And they did win the second leg from behind. And the ability to retrieve those deficits, not to panic, to have faith in what you're doing and to be able to execute under pressure is something that we haven't seen in a very long time. You mentioned options there, Daniel. He has plentiful. What's your uh, starting front three if everyone's fit and it's a big game? It depends. I mean, because you could just pick the best players mm. and the best players is not their course. So the best players probably, given the fact they have 17 players who are really good on the left wing, then it would be Rashford up front, Bruno in behind, Anthony on the left, Anthony on the right and probably Sancho off the left. With But when you pick a team, particularly if we've got Sunday coming up in a cup final, mm. you're not necessarily picking all the best players on the pitch at the beginning because you're also thinking, I want my best, I want my best players on the pitch for the last half an hour when the game might be in the balance. So you might hold players back and pick, say, he might, I, I wouldn't, I'm not, I'm sure he'll pick Veghorst on Sunday, but if I was guessing, I'd say he would. And I don't think it's because he thinks that Veghorst is necessarily one of his best 11 players, but it's 
what Veghorz does that enables the other players to play well, but also that if you've got Sancho and Garnacho on the bank on the bench, let's say, mm. then those are very significant changes to introduce to a game after an hour when the opposition are tiring, particularly if there's a possibility that game might go to extra time. Yeah, because it feels like he's he's almost I don't know if it's purposely, but he's not starting with the strongest eleven. Because when I saw Veghorz in the team last night, I was thinking Garnacho's right there and he's playing well. But is that almost? Uh, an extra string to the bow that if we play well with Veghorst, then bring on Garnacho, we're actually better again. Yeah, and I think Garnacho and Sancho have both played really well recently, and Garnacho has been good all season, but it has generally been off the bench. Sancho was brilliant against Leeds, but was off the bench. Garnacho is someone, Garnacho in particular, I think, is just someone you don't want to face as a substitute because he's so fast, so direct, and so fearless. And Sancho also is an interesting just because there aren't players around like him. So you get used to playing against one player, and then if you suddenly toss Sancho into that mix after an hour, the challenge of facing him is totally different to the challenge of facing whoever he's replaced. And football matches last 90 minutes, 95 minutes, or whatever. And you want to take advantage of all those minutes. So I think that it makes sense to keep on the bench players who you think can make a very significant change, particularly if those players are currently showing you that off the bench is, might be where they're best. Mm. Anthony's finish last night, superb. Do you get the criticism of Anthony? Not really. As in, he's come without a preseason to a new country, to a new league, and there's been a World Cup and he's been injured. And he's scoring and creating goals. So I, I watch him and I think there's a lot of improvement that you need to do. But also, there's a lot of improvement I think will come. And also, he's quite good already. He's 23 yesterday. It was his birthday. He's 23. He scored, I think, seven goals this season. He saw the goal he scored last night in a big game against Barcelona. So I think what Anthony gives you on a bad day is that he's not scared. You can always give him the ball. And he will take the ball and he will take time and heat out of the game because he's able to hang on to the ball and people will kick him and he's not bothered. So he gives you that toughness and that nastiness and that ability to retain possession. He also stretches the play and he and gives United some width and gives them a threat down the right-hand side. He's good at pressing. He gives them a lot out of possession, a lot, a lot going backwards. And he can, get, and he can be involved in goals. And th- these, these are just, this is on a bad day. On a good day, he gives you obviously a lot more. And things haven't been working perfectly for him yet. But what I thought we saw last night, and we haven't seen this consistently, is that he was running in behind. He was looking to put the ball behind his men, beat them for pace on the outside, come on the inside and go past people. He's slowed it down a little bit, I think, this season up until this point. But his performance last night, I thought, was really encouraging because he was also looking to be a little bit more proactive in possession, a little bit quicker in possession. And the criticism of Anthony, like they said on uh, BT afterwards that, um, this might be a turning point for him, and he doesn't need a turning point. He scored on his debut, and he's been either good, he's been either injured or pretty good since then. And I think he's been good in the last few games too. So it felt like this whole thing was confected because he did that trick that some people didn't like in that game mm. the day the Queen died. Mm. And I, I, I totally didn't see it. I didn't, I didn't see it even with the trick. That I thought what he was trying to do was trying to misdirect the opposition by spinning. Then he played a pass and the pass was off. But the conception of the trick mm. and what it was trying to achieve was that it was misdirection. You're looking over there and I'm going to put the ball over here was actually quite clever. And I didn't have a problem with him doing it. 
And then he got substituted and people said, oh, Ten Hag has hooked him because of that. But Ten Hag hooked him because he was resting him. It was clearly one of those things that was planned. I think Ten Hag even said as much afterwards. But the media somehow confected this whole controversy about Anthony's spin and therefore people didn't appreciate him and the crowd didn't like it. And this, this whole thing is just total, total nonsense. He's contributing absolutely loads to the team, which is why this manager who 10 minutes ago we were just talking about is ruthless. There's competition for places. Almost always picks him when he's fit because he gives the team a balance and an intensity that other players don't and he's the best the best right winger that United have and United have some players who can play that role well well, I mean, the media picked up on that because it was an easy thing to pick up on. It was also weird. Well, no, but it was. I mean, look, that's, that's what, look, those little moments were what football is about. And you remember, Andre Koncelski is standing on the ball at Rangers I, with I, the I wouldn't blast like, him for it, but it was, know, I, in my opinion, thing. it was no, a bit weird. It but I think, the, I think the criticism of Anthony is that he's so predominantly left-footed that sometimes he slows down attacks because he goes back on his left foot. Like the way Antonio Valencia used to be completely right-footed. Isn't uh, that yes, the so, way? Yeah. So Ten Hag talked about this and he said he can come on the inside, he can go on the outside, he can beat people for pace and he needs to do it more. So I, I agree that I agree with you that this is, is a weakness in his game. But from what the man, from what Ten Hag said, it needn't be a weakness. And last night, actually, I felt was really encouraging in that aspect because we saw we saw a bit more variety and we saw him speeding the game up rather than slowing it down. The, slow, the ability to slow it down, don't get me wrong, is helpful. But when you're under pressure or when you want to take some, some heat or some time out of the game, the ability to slow it down and hang on to the ball is an important one. But I agree with you, Colm, that he he does he does need to speed the game up and he does need to trust his ability on his right foot because he needs to ask defenders a different question. And we've seen it with Rashford playing on the left that once defenders knew that he wasn't just going to go inside and he had the tricks, the pace and the the will really to go on the outside, he became a totally different proposition to mark. And from what Ten Hag says, Anthony is capable of that. And I felt like we started to see that last night. But as we as you said, the finish, the ability to sort of march onto a finish and punch it when it's in the air like that. Um is 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 a very significant one, and is is occasionally you see players who became become known for a very particular kind of thing. So Coutinho had that finish where he would curl it into the top corner from outside mm. the box on the left hand side, and Anthony he, he has his finish and his ability to to execute it in all different sorts of sorts of circumstances with composure and accuracy is 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 useful. So it is a weakness that he only comes inside, but when he does it, he can still do it very effectively and. If he's starting to add that ability to go on the outside and to do different things, and I think we're seeing that, then it will immediately make the fact that he can go on the inside and that he's so good at it an even more significant strength than before. Uh, there was a one-two between Garnacho and Fred with about 10 minutes to go last night that really should have it was a, a thing of absolute beauty it really should have uh, resulted in a goal and I did wonder when you couple um, maybe less so the impact of Garnacho, but certainly of Anthony and looking ahead to Sunday and the cup final Daniel if you felt that like you know in terms of team selection we've obviously touched on Sancho and touched on, on Weghurst but are they two players that come into the reckoning on Sunday? I'm, there's, I'm, I'd be amazed if Garnacho started that game just because he's such a good substitute. He's been better from the bench than starting. I guess the options are Rashford will start and Bruno will start. And I think Anthony will probably start. And then it's probably, I would imagine it's a toss up between Veghorst and Sancho. I would probably go Sancho because I, although all, all, everything that I said about keeping good players in reserve, there's the other part of me that says just pick the best players on the pitch and then take it from there. Uh, I think it will be Vekos, though, because I think that United will want to start fast, but they'll also be aware that they might have a big physical and, and, and emotional dump from beating Barcelona. So they might think, get a foothold in the game first and then and then try and really 
go away in the second half. And I think that's one of the things we've been seeing a lot of United recently, that because they've been playing so many games, you can't go flat out in all the games. And it feels like the first half has been a period where they're establishing themselves into a game before they really stamp on the gas in the second half. So I wouldn't be surprised if it continued like that. That would be my guess. And they end the six-year drought? Uh, I, I Guaranteed. So. Nick Pope is out. Absolutely guaranteed. Uh, Newcastle was Newcastle was a difficult game. They got their own sense Come of destiny. On. Don't I be, hope don't, United are motivated we, we have an expression over here, Daniel, called plumossing, which is uh, buttering us up. Come on. Um, I I think United should win. They should have beaten Newcastle at home earlier in the season. They didn't. But New, Newcastle looked like they've run out of a bit of form over the last few weeks, and United are still running into it. But you look at they're a team that can hurt you. Alexander Isak is an excellent player. Bruno Gimaraich is an excellent player, and they're good at the back. So in a final, in a tight game. It's ridiculous. Like those teams can beat you. I think that United should be motivated by the potential shame of losing to Newcastle and the fuss that will be made about them winning their first their first trophy since 1969. I mean, that would be a very significant shame for those players to be their patsies. But I think United will win. I expect them to win. They should win. But the idea that it's a gimme against a really good team who will be motivated like you wouldn't believe is not the case. But United should United should win. And I think I always look at them and I think that triumvirate that they've got, the two centre-backs and Casemiro, make it really difficult for any team to beat them. Like, turning up at any game with those three is like walking into a pub and saying, right, now who wants some? And it's almost it's a real statement of those three players, a hard, fast, talented brilliant and it's really hard to see any team beating United when those three are on the pitch they will be on the pitch so United should win but Newcastle absolutely have the players to keep them out and to score and to make it a really hard game they're good right enjoy we'll catch up with you next week thanks Daniel see you guys around, see you have a good weekend Bye. OTB AM with Gillette get into your flow with the new Gillette Labs Razor with exfoliating bar <laughs> 